0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, good people and inhabitants of planet Earth, both foreign and domestic, welcome to the Dear Human Paradox. I am your host, Darius Riddick, and I would like to thank you for once again joining me in the next stage of evolution for humankind. And before we get started, on this day in history in 1862, the Battle of Shiloh is concluded. So for those of you that aren't aware of history in the... Proceeding timeline, it is riddled with war and battles for control, power, peace, whatever you may have it. But one of the uh, most notorious, infamous, bloodiest battles is that of the U.S. Civil War. Uh, Domestic on domestic violence. I I don't even know how you can explain that, but (laughs) one of the major battles uh, ended on this day. Uh, a hundred and something years ago, do the math. Okay. Uh, but that's not what we're here for today. We're going to talk about some prominent concepts that apply to arguably every human. Um, and this is one of my favorite things to do because when we talk about something that's so universally applicable, it just goes to show that despite what division that there may, there may be despite what battles or war may take place because of the difference in ideals or difference in backgrounds or difference in, in finite things like color of skin or body size or, or genitals, whatever it may be. There are commonalities that we all share. And that's just a fantastic thing to highlight as a recap. So far, we've talked about the durable Human Paradox and how we're going to use these 26 ethical tools to enable human prosperity in the form of self-optimization for every human, because it is my belief that every human has the innate ability to self-optimize, to make themselves more durable. Now, how one uses these tools is completely up to them. Every tool has a foundational purpose. But the beauty of creativity and imagination is being able to use things that may have uh, a different design for a separate usage. Uh, So we also address this idea of skeletal muscle, which is what we're going to talk about more today Um, in the idea that skeletal muscle is so important. It's, It's more than just the look. It's more than just having big, juicy arms or big, juicy glutes. It's more than just being able to lift hundreds, uh, if not up to a thousand, a little bit over a uh, thousand pounds if you're Ray Williams. But, uh, it's this idea that skeletal muscle is a responsible for all locomotive activity. It enables human locomotion and the ability to do anything, to sit upright, to stand, to, to move around, just to get up in the morning to, to flick off the person that may have cut you off. Uh, don't do that by the way. (laughs) Um, or to wave to your best friend, to blow a kit, whatever it is that you do, it's all enabled by skeletal muscle and its ability to contract without this contractile ability or the contractile elements on the cellular level. Life would cease to exist. It'd be like a, a you'd be like a, a stiff as a board. You know, it's this idea of rigor mortis and why that happens at death. But our primary duty moving forward and many of the tasks that we talk about is establishing ways, uh, pathways of how to uh, promote better skeletal muscle contractile forces and ability. Now, <clears throat> before we jump into one of the major ways to be able to do that one has to understand that this development process is going to look different for everyone and unless you truly take this tool and get out there and use it then in 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 reality it's useless because what works for someone may not work for you and we have to be clear that there are obstacles that apply to some, but that don't apply to others. And for skeletal muscle, that can look like genetic inheritance. What is your muscle fiber type makeup before you even begin the development process? Though it's trainable and it can be altered where do you start that can't really be identified in an ethical way unless you get out and try it for yourself and that's the beauty of self-optimization it's something that has to be done under your own measures and your own time and understand this is coming from someone who has uh who, who claims a niche in in this field that that is my focus besides just human performance architecture in general My subject matter expertise will be focused in development of skeletal muscle. So if you don't listen to any other principles that that we talk about, skeletal muscle and its development is going to be one of the most critical ones. So just talking from a a broad perspective, your situation is unique, but there is a foundation. So just from an anatomical perspective, Standpoint The muscle, every single one of them is an organ of the vertebrate system, right? They we talked about it, they all individually power some form of locomotion within a different range. So, the average human has 35% of the body made up of skeletal muscle. I mean, that's 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 over one third, right? That's a significant portion. So, if we talk about developing skeletal muscle, then in theory. Improving performance of skeletal muscle, right? Muscular strength, extensibility, and just general performance will improve other physical abilities linked to movement. So what this means is all other factors considered. If you are able to improve the work and energy demand relationship of your skeletal muscle, that translates to a better quality of life for all your organs that work together because everything is linked. So if everything is linked, when you improve something that carries a uh, a majority uh, an over one third, a portion of the body's mass and majority of its movement, then you're giving it its best chance at optimal performance. So there's various forms to, to muscle. Don't get it confused with cardiac muscle, because in this we talk specifically about skeletal muscle. So in the next few episodes, we're going to talk a little bit about how each performance parameter applies to the development of skeletal muscle. But the primary thing, the number one thing that someone who wants to improve their locomotion prove their ability to move their strength their aesthetics their sex appeal whatever you want to to own about skeletal muscle is promoting the best possible environment and that is one that is anabolic now I've, i've learned that when you mention that word anabolic there's almost like a negative connotation to it um from, from, from a public standpoint, but, and understand that most of the processes in the body want to reach a, a certain point of anabolism and what it is like in, in, in the simplest way possible is the body using energy to promote, to promote synthesis, uh, uh, the building up aspect of the body. Whereas the opposite is catabolism breaking down, um, Uh, It's this idea of biosynthesis. So when we talk about skeletal muscle and biosynthesis, you want muscle protein synthesis because that is how skeletal muscle is going to be developed. Now, that is a very short way to to describe a very complicated process because it's going to take quite some time for us to talk about what that actually looks like and how to promote the 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 greatest environments to make that happen. And um one of the things that I, I will highlight once again is in order to truly understand this process and how it works, you have you you need the knowledge behind it, but you also need the experience. And where my predecessors really give me a lot of Slack a lot of I don't know what to call it. it is is uh when I talk about the simplicity of these things is having both you know some of these some of the scientists and researchers that came before us that did these things never touched a weight in their life they didn't touch the gym they were completely observant so you can do measurements all day you can talk about it all day you can look at someone else doing it you can read all the books in the world you can have the the utmost knowledge to every single detail down to the cellular and molecular level of how this process works. But it means Jack diddly squat, unless you do it yourself, unless you get in the gym and know what it feels like during resistance training to have a muscle cramp, you know, what it feels like to have a muscle fatigue to the point where you, you resting is not an option. It's mandatory where you, where you feel what it's like to have, uh, uh, a decrease in pH and have that burning sensation within your muscle to understand what the process feels like of developing skeletal muscle, which is why in the Dura-Human Paradox, we will talk about so frequently why it is it is imperative that one who wants to, to really understand these tools, they get out and actually use them because information without implementation is unnecessary. So what our major goal is right now is understanding that regardless of what stage of your life you are in, there are two separate, there are two separate paths. You are either in the point of life where your muscle is still developing or you're in the point of life where your muscle is now beginning to break down because of age. And putting that in that perspective is very dichotomous, but understand there are wavelengths to life. And I know I mentioned it in the, uh, in the previous episode the one before is, you know, w- the goal is to minimize these peaks and valleys because there's, there's gonna be a point where during the maturation process is the best possible chance of having uh, anabolic environments. It, it's, it's where the body is, is at its greatest state In order to develop skeletal muscle typically this is for prepubescent and pubescent young men because that is when the hormonal environment is is ready (laughs) it's ready for skeletal muscle and unfortunately the same doesn't quite apply to women because they have a different subset of hormones that doesn't promote muscle protein synthesis it's there but it's not as prevalent so there are some things that we have to do to minimize those peaks and valleys those peaks and valleys those greatest differences between many different subset of groups but the commonality is as it applies to a single person as it applies to you whoever you are however old you are whatever gender you you biologically own uh it, you have to understand that your role in skeletal muscle development is to promote anabolic environments. And there are multiple ways to do that. Just to name a few, as we wrap this up, is nutrient efficient, right? So I usually like to talk about that one last, but in order to develop skeletal muscle in the appropriate way, one has to feed the body what it needs. Hormonal environments, we talked about it a little bit, but two of the major Two of the major, um, hormones that come into mind when we talk about anabolic environments is testosterone and growth hormone. And later on, we're going to talk about how two of those uh, apply to the development of skeletal muscle as well. Um, contractile environments. If you don't exercise, you can't develop skeletal muscle because like we said, At some point the human body begins to break down. And when you are sedentary, not only is it breaking down from age, but it's breaking down from lack of usage. So it's important to highlight that, but not just exercise, right? Because you can run miles and miles and miles and miles and you're using skeletal muscle, but you're not developing it in order to promote hypertrophy. There has to be resistance training involved. So if someone was to completely ignore resistance training to not do it, then they, they have officially minimized their chance, if not eliminated their chance of developing ske- skeletal muscle in an anabolic environment because it only happens right now through resistance training. And we'll get into that a little later as well. The last one. Um, last but not least, and, and there's a lot to them, but I broke it down into four, right? Because we want to keep it simple. The fourth is a, a repairing environment. Now, there is a common misconception amongst the athlete community that I learned firsthand about this, this idea of work versus recovery. And what I will say is this the greatest athletes on planet earth are the greatest athletes because besides raw talent they respect the relationship between training and recovery though recover certain levels of recovery, of of recovery excuse me wow tripping <laughs> Re- recovery is not uh Mandatory, right? There are athletes that can perform at different levels who can sleep three, four hours a night versus those, others who may need 9, 10, whatever it may be. Recovery is a crucial element to growth and a crucial element to self optimization and furthermore, human durability, because though you will still be able to perform, you won't be able to perform at the same level, if not higher, if that recovery had been respected. And I think that's one of the most difficult things for elite athletes, athletes. And I mean, people now in general to truly understand is that that balance between training and the recovery workload. So again, that those four are what we're going to discuss in the next few episodes. So if you want to know more about them, we'll have to, you have to stick around, but just, just as a recap, okay, skeletal muscle is the enabler to locomotive activity. It is how human locomotion and function is possible. So our role, at least one of them, for the dear human paradox is understanding how, all things considered, we can promote the greatest environment for this idea of anabolism, the building up aspect of biosynthesis. And though that varies between men, women, youth, middle age, and the older population, and factors like genetic inheritance and what environment that you promote it in. There is a foundation to give your body the best possible chance of doing that. And for surface level purposes right now, until we can understand the more complicated aspects of it, before we even really get into the nitty gritty, there's four separate environments that we can talk about. Nutrient sufficient, giving your body what it needs to grow and to repair. Hormonal environments, understanding that anabolism happens primarily in hormonal environments that allow it to be promoted. And amongst those hormones, because there's a few of them, the 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 prevailing ones are testosterone and growth hormone. Number three, a contractile environment with the understanding that skeletal muscle is only developed when you work it. Sedentary lifestyle is characterized by a lack of usage. Therefore, muscle just isn't going to grow. And as you get older, the more sedentary you are, the more muscle is going to, let's say, depreciate in value. It's going to atrophy because not only is the body going to is is less less hormones are being produced more fat is being made but if you're less active on top of that you're doing the opposite of what it of of human durability (laughs) okay and along with that resistance training is the key element to promoting skeletal muscle strength and size on Last but not least, is recovery. In order for someone to, on top of the others, (laughs) give their skeletal muscle the best chance of development, they have to respect the relationship between training and recovery. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, that's all for today, a brief intro. Thanks for sticking with me. In the next couple episodes, we're gonna dive into these topics a little bit more because because it's it's good stuff all right but until then stay durable my friends